in this episode of the Athletes Legacy Podcast. I talk about the college recruiting process and how you can start the communication with coaches and the steps that you can take to do so, as well as understanding the rules of both the NCAA and the NAIA and the guidelines for recruitment for each division or each organization. If it gets too overwhelming, I will leave all resources in the description for you to dig around in when you have time. And of course, if you enjoy the message we're promoting on this podcast, I would greatly appreciate it if you left a rating and review on the platform you are listening to. And be sure to subscribe to future episodes so you don't miss out. Because as every Wednesday, I speak with former athletes at various stages of their lives to gather perspective and dive deep into their college experience from mental health to fitness and how they are handling the next chapter of, the, of their life. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. What is up, you guys? I'm your host, April, and in today's episode, we are going to talk about the recruitment process. So buckle in, because this is going to be a lot of information. Um, so before we get into the meat and potatoes of the recruitment process of today's episode, um, I think it would be a good idea to just quickly go over what the NCAA and the NAIA is, right? So we all know what the NCAA is. It's the National Collegiate Athletic Association. It was started in 1906 to protect athletes and regulate the rules of college sports. The NAIA was started in 1940 to govern small athletic programs that were dedicated to character-driven athletics. So, as you may or may not know, the NCAA has three divisions, whereas the NAIA has two divisions. The, the NCAA divisions that you're probably most aware of is D1, D2, and D3. The NAIA divisions are D1 and D2. Um, each division will be slightly different in terms of recruiting rules and level of play. Um, so we'll start with what the NCAA divisions are. Division three is the lower level of the NCAA. At this level, it is considered to be an integrated environment that focuses on academic success while offering competitive athletics, as well as meaningful non-athletic opportunities. Some conferences include the American Southwest Conference, Coast to Coast Conference, and the Commonwealth Conference. Division two is the middle level, right? This level focuses on growth opportunities through academic achievement, high-level athletic competition, and community engagement. They have the East Coast Conference, Conference Carolina, and the Lone Star Conference. Lastly, the Division One or D2, is considered the top level and the most desired level of play for most athletes. This level typically enrolls the most students, manages the largest athletic budgets, and offer a wide array of academic programs and provides the most athletic scholarships and additional financial support. Some conferences that you may be familiar with are the ACC, the SEC, and the Pac-12. Of course, each division has multiple other conferences and many other schools. These are just some of the examples of conferences in each division. Now, moving on to the NAIA, 
It really comes down to priorities. If your school wants to be nationally competitive at a reasonable price while driving enrollment and supporting the school's bottom line, the NAIA is the best association for you. Um, these schools measure success not just by game scores, but by their financial bottom lines too. So like I said earlier, there are two divisions within the NAIA. Um, if we are comparing the levels, uh, the, NAIA, the NAIA Division One can be compared to the NCAA Division Two, and Division the and the NAIA Division Two can be compared to the NCAA Division Three. So, with that being said, it seems like the between the two divisions, it really only occurs to to basketball, not all sports. Okay, so the the difference between the NAIA Division One and Division Two levels is just one sport. Um, so that's at least that's what I've come to conclusion on, and that's what the research has provided. And, and the NAIA website hasn't really solidified that or kind of put that into words. This is just what I found out from my research. But apparently, between the NAIA D1 and D2 levels, it's just the difference occurs with for basketball, really. Now, now that that brief history is over with, we can go down to the recruiting process, which, again, come it's it's a bit trickier. Okay, when it comes down to getting recruited, each division has a different set of rules or deadlines where you can communicate with a coach, and this is where it gets confusing for some and can be tricky. Okay, so. For the NCAA, they have periods of contact throughout the entire year, and the dates will be different between the sports. I will go ahead and link um, all the resources I found in the the description of this episode. So if you want to go in and research the calendar year for your sport to figure out which period you can actually contact the coach for and actually start that communication, I'll put that in the link below. But... um, you do have, for the NCAA, you do have uh, four different periods. The first period is the contact period, which is the time where athletic staff can make off-campus, in-person contact and evaluations. The second uh, period is the quiet period, where you are able to make in-person contact on campus only, you cannot do it in person, off campus, uh, contact or evaluations during this period. The third period is the dead period, where you're not able to complete in person contacts on or off campus, or permit official or unofficial visits. And then the last period is the evaluation period, which you are able to be involved with off campus activities designed to assess academic qualifications and playing ability of the of the recruitment of the player okay however no in person contact can be made during the evaluation period so those are the four periods for the NCAA um so when we go into the different levels the for the NCAA the the first one is D1 which their rules are 
the most strict out of all the divisions, okay? So, on June 15th, following your sophomore year, colleges can receive emails, texts, direct messages, answer incoming and outgoing calls, offer and accept verbal offers, barring that they fall under the correct period of contact. So again, the four periods, you have the contact period, the quiet period, the dead period, and the evaluation period, okay? On August 1st of the recruit's junior year, you can complete off-campus contact as well as complete official and unofficial visits. The dead period is where it gets different per sport. So for example, women's soccer only has dead periods from November 7th through the 10th and December 15th through January 5th. The rest of the time for that year, you would treat it like a contact period. Compare that to men's soccer, they have two dead periods and a quiet period. The first dead period is the same on November 7th through the 10th. The other dead period is December 9th through the 11th. And then the quiet period is December 23rd through the 25th. So this is where it gets tricky, like, like I said earlier. it The, the contact periods and the, the four different periods for the NCAA D1 level, it will vary depending on the sport and what year it is, if that makes sense. So now, so now compared to D2, where it is a bit more relaxed than D1, if you are in your freshman or sophomore year in high school, you can receive questionnaires, camp brochures, but no recruiting material. And then on June 15th, following your sophomore year, there are no limits to recruiting material, electronic media and contacts, meaning email, direct messages, texts, um, social media messages, whatever it may be, incoming and outgoing calls, and in-person off-campus contact. The only dead period for D2 is is November 7th at 7 a.m. through November 9th at 7 a.m. So that's the only dead period for the Division Two level. Um, so it's it's not as you could as you can know or see. Okay, D two is a lot less strict than D one, and their recruiting process for D two is essentially the same kind of mapped out. In terms of year, uh, minus that dead period. Um, now, once we move into the Division Three level, where we will see significant changes across the board for all sports. Um, they don't offer athletic scholarships, but they do offer financial assistance. And you might be wondering, well, why doesn't D3 offer scholarships, a- athletic scholarships? It's because they want to provide a full college experience, someone who can excel in the classroom just as much as in their sport. Um, that was uh, that was put into the NA or the NCAA D3 uh, website per NCAA.com. So I just pulled that from there. 
but the Division Three level, literally, athletes can receive recruiting material at any time. There are no limits on incoming or outgoing calls from the coach or even electronic communication. There's no limits. After the sophomore year, coaches can start off-campus communication, and official visit official visits can occur starting January 1st of the athlete's junior year, and unofficial visits can occur at any time. So, like I said, a lot of information that I kind of just blew through. I, if if I did lose you or you've gotten lost, um, go just go ahead and go to the description of the episode here, and I will go ahead and link all the resources for the NCAA and and the NAIA uh, recruiting process down below, so you can do your own research on your own sport, on your own time. Now moving on to the NAIA, and yes, they they do offer athletic scholarships. The only difference between the NAIA and the NCAA is this: the NAIA does not govern recruiting, nor do they have the specific dates or periods to follow, which means the college coach and athlete can freely communicate however they wish, if that is in person, on or off campus, emails, phone calls, or social media. Whatever it may be, it is a free communication between the athlete and the coach, and that goes for all NAIA NAIA sports. Now, with all that being said, you're probably asking, how do you actually get seen? How do you actually get the process of communication started? And for that, I'm going to tell you a brief story of my own experience, okay? I went I went the unorthodox route of recruiting. So after high school, I went to a junior college, or JUCO, which is a two-year school, and I went to a JUCO in Los Angeles, um... And yes, junior college is one way of getting to where you want to be. And that's what I chose when I graduated high school. You probably hear of or see of football players or baseball players that get recruited to D1 or D2 schools and they go, didn't end up how they thought it would have for them. And so they end up transferring to a competitive JUCO and start the recruiting process again after one season at the JUCO in hopes of going to a different D1 or D2 school. So that's kind of the route I went, right? So I went out of high school. I, I, I went to junior college in Los Angeles, was there for two years, got my AA degree, and then from there I was getting recruited. So, like, because I went to the JUCO level after high school, I played two seasons, and after my sophomore season, I was recruited by Washington State University of the Pac-12 the only way I got recruited was because I literally made a list of schools of about, mm, I would say about 100 to 125 places at all levels, from D1, D2, D3 levels. And I sent out personalized emails to the head coach, the associate head coach, and the goalkeeper coach. If I didn't hear from them in one week, I sent all three a follow-up email. If I didn't hear from them again, I would send them one last follow-up email, um, and then if I didn't hear uh, uh, if I didn't hear from them after that third follow-up email, then I would take it as they either don't want me, they don't they don't have the money to do so, or 
they already have their recruiting process, right? So I just deleted that email. And I think I got like 95% of all emails received, or at least from my eyes, okay? About 99% or 95 to 99% of the emails, I either got no response or thanks but no thanks. But only takes one yes. And that one yes was Washington State University. They received my email. The goalkeeper coach contacted me and was like, we're interested. We're doing a ID camp in spring. We would love for you to come. So I went, um, showed out, balled out, and the rest is history. I went to Washington State, got recruited, um, signed my uh, NIL with them, and then all I had to do was finish my summer summer class uh, at my at, in Los Angeles and move my butt to Pullman, Washington. So that's my little story, and you might have heard another similar story. Um, his name is Josh Allen. You may or may not know him, but he's the NFL quarterback of the Buffalo Bills. Superstar, right? Same kind of story. He went to a a JUCO level out of high school. He sent over 1,000 emails to coaches until getting one yes, and that one yes was from Wyoming. Okay, so do you see what the common denominator is? Josh Allen and I, we both sent emails. During my time, the email was a bit more detailed as that was the norm with a YouTube link or a game film ready to ship. Whereas Josh Allen's was a little bit short and sweet, to the point, and with a link to his huddle highlights. So, right, so he had, he's obviously a superstar in the NFL, right, and I work in Las Vegas, right, but we both played D1, we both wanted it that bad to do what we had to do to get recruited, to get seen, to get noticed, and that, again, was were emails, that's one way to get looked at. Um, so if you're if you're truly wanting to move on and truly wanting to play in college on a scholarship, you need to put in the work, just like your sport. To get recruited, you don't need to be on the best teams. You can be on the middle of the pack team and still get recruited. It may be a tad bit harder because you're not traveling as much or you might not be in these dominant tournaments where scouts are there but you can still get recruited and another option for you is if you are on a lower team or if you're not traveling as much you can go to id camps or clinics that the sports programs for their schools put on for their campus or for their program so like if you play soccer soccer has like id camps or clinics or fall camp or summer camp that you can go to Go to those and introduce yourself to the coaching staff. If you have film or highlights or a schedule of an upcoming tournament that they might be at, right? Bring those with you to those camps or clinics just in case. And when you have a moment with the coaches, talk to them, introduce yourself and like, hey, I have a tournament coming up and I notice that you you guys will be there. Here's my schedule for the games if you want to see me play in an actual game right 
you don't need to rely on your club coach. You don't need to rely on, uh, like, hiring a recruiting service. You can do this yourself without paying a dime. It's going to be harder. It might be harder. I don't know. It, it's a lot more time-consuming, but it can get done. It can still be done, right? You don't need, like I said, you don't need to pay a service like an SCA to help you get recruited or build a highlight film or do any or start that process with the coach. The, you don't need them to be in the middle between you and the coach. And to be honest, if I'm being completely honest, I think it's almost better if you start and end the conversation with the coach. That way, you can ask questions, you can interview the staff, you can get a real feel of the environment and how the coaches coach the team and the team environment. I mean, really, you're, it's more of an interview for the coach and the staff and the team as to why you should pick them over another school, right? So I th I think, honestly, it's better if if you're actually wanting to play in college, you start that recruit that that recruiting process on your own without hiring a service, because only then you'll be able to kind of feel out the coaches when you first meet them. You can once you get those emails back, or if you get into communication with them over like social media, it's a lot easier for you to decipher how those coaches are, and you can kind of read the bullshit between them. Um, so that's, that's what I think, that's what, that's what I liked. I was able to figure out like, oh, this coach doesn't really care. This coach doesn't have the time of day to talk to me or see me play, right? That's, that's what I got from my time doing my own recruiting process than asking my coach for help or asking a service to help me or paying a service to help me get recruited. I was able to discover what coaches were actually genuine or they were just talking to talk, if that makes any sense. Now, unless you want to pay a service of to get recruited, then go ahead and do that. But if you do plan on doing it yourself and having your parents help you, then here's what I would suggest. First things first, ask yourself, do you want to be a big fish in a small pond or do you want to be a small fish in a big pond? And what I mean by that is do you want to go and be a part of a huge D1 program where the chances of you playing out of all the four years you will be there are slim to none? Where you are essentially a practice player or do you want to go and be a part of a smaller program and be a big fish there and have the opportunity to play and potentially be a leader of the team. So ask yourself that first. You need to find out what you want from a college, not the other way around. Secondly, if you know what you want to do and you know what you want to get your degree in, look at the schools that you made a list on, if you did make a list or what, whatever, Look at the schools that offer that degree, and if those academics are also important to you, I would also look at 
like the best or the top places for that degree. So for instance, for me, um, during my during my time, during my process, I would look at the school and I'll look at their academic program for kinesiology or exercise science because that's that's what I wanted to get my degree in. And I, wa- I wanted to go to a good school that was either one of the top schools in the nation for it or really high up there. So that's how I landed at Washington State. I did my research. So that's what I would suggest. Uh, look at the degrees. Look to see if the school that you're wanting to go to or the list of schools that you are wanting to go to have a really good program for your degree. Even if you don't have a solid idea of what you want to get your degree in and you have a couple ideas or a couple thoughts that you think you might want to go, then make sure the schools you pick offer those options because then you can easily transfer from one program to the next program and transition out, right? It's a lot harder to go to a school to go for one degree, but then midway through your college career, you're like, psych, I actually want to do this instead, and that school doesn't offer it. Now you have to transfer schools. Okay, that's even more work. So save yourself some time. Do your research on the school. Do the research on the degree or degrees that you are thinking of and go from there. Um, And then thirdly, do your research on the team and the program. Do they have the, the next year or two committed already? Most schools, especially D1 levels, they will put like in their in the program's news like recruiting class of 2023 or recruiting class 2024 they'll give literally the the next two years of recruitments coming to their school so if you look at that and you're like oh so and so she plays my position or so and so he plays my position probably won't be able to have a chance there because their roster is already full they already have enough players for that position so why would they add you make sense are some of the players in the position in your that player position graduating by the time you get there so if you're a senior and you graduate in 2024 let's say will those position players be done and graduate by the time you get there if so chances are the coaching staff are looking for players to fill that position. So it might be beneficial for you to contact that school or that program. Others, um, how many players per position do they have already and will have? Again, looking at the roster, looking at the recruiting class, by doing that, you can see if if that staff or that coach needs you or needs your specific position if not and it's filled there's really no point in trying to communicate with that coach because nine times out of ten they're they're gonna pass on you just because they don't need it right now they don't need you they don't need to add another player in your position um, or they already have plans or recruits already in mind for the following years so it'll be a little bit harder for you to fight for that spot um so 
just something to think about. Lastly, find out what resources they have to offer as a student athlete. Do they have counselors? Do they have academic counselors just for athletes? Do they have athletic counselors? Um, What kind of commitment does the school have for their student athletes, if that makes sense? So you want to make sure that they have the resources for you as a student athlete to help you succeed, to help you through tough times, tough situations, that you feel supported. That's a major thing. So if you do those things, you have the potential to find a great home for the next four to five years where not only you will receive your degree that you want and desire, but play and build something of yourself, um, both athletically and academically. The worst thing that you can do for yourself is commit somewhere where you are not happy and you are not seeing the results that you were promised or told by the coach during the, the recruitment process. That is why I recommend for you to interview and ask questions to the coaches and ask about the program, the environment, talk to the talk to the players if you can, find them on social media, talk to them, ask them what kind of culture the team has and what kind of culture the coach has put into place, if any, right? So do your due diligence when you when you do the recruiting process. So that is the advice I would recommend. And this is this is what got me to where I was. Um, so it'll be hard work, but well worth it once you sign with the school of your dreams. So that is it. Until next time, I'll catch you guys in the next episode.